Coach D here and welcome to the Standing O Podcast. I am excited for our conversation today because you get to meet my friend, Annie Breeze. Now today, Annie is a personal trainer, a mom to three, and an entrepreneur. She is the co-founder of Balance 365 Life. Annie felt called to create Balance 365 because she believes that women deserve a more balanced approach to changing their lifestyle. She is on a mission to cultivate a worldwide culture shift where women celebrate beauty and diversity of our bodies and shift the focus from what we look like to who we are. Annie's story and mission are cool alone, but for me, it is straight up inspiring because I met Annie in the seventh grade. Yes, middle school, where wanting to fit in and body insecurities and low self-esteem, they are at the all-time high, right? Oh, the things we wish we knew then, the conversations we should have had, the support and affirmation we could have been giving. And sometimes I think just we should have relaxed a little bit. We just didn't know. We didn't know how. I didn't know the words for it, but to me, to know two girls, two kids who grew up in the same town at the same time in the same circle of friends and just had no idea what was really going on underneath the surface. It's surprising, yet it's really not. So join us. Join us as we reminisce, as we talk about body issues and insecurities and situational confidence and just growing up. I hope us having this conversation 20 years after we should have had it is not just inspiring, but it opens avenues for more kids to be having these kinds of conversations. So here it is. Here is my friend, Annie Breeze. Well, hi, Annie. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm so glad you're here. I am honored to be here. Who would have thought that we on your podcast together? I know. I actually was thinking that we could title this podcast, like the conversation we should have had 20 years ago. (laughs) Yeah. But neither of us knew enough about each other's experience to know that that conversation should have even have been a thing, but right. I I mean, like never. Yep. Never say never. The thing that I was, was reflecting on is like, we walked the same hallways. We were on different teams, but we met in track. Um, and yet we both struggled with insecurities. We just never talked about it. Like, I don't know about you, but I thought everybody else had it all together. Like Mm -hmm. everybody else was confident. Everybody else had no problems with friendships or got nervous before they competed or, you know, was felt awkward in a uniform. I thought it was only me and, um, little did I know. No, I think it was you. It was me. It was probably most of the girls we went to high school with (laughs) before we transition into, you know, that girl we were talking about that was struggling on the inside, like what you were always a girl in sports. So like, talk about that. Like, how did you start? What were sports? What were they to Um, you? Yeah. I don't remember my life without sports. I grew up in a very athletic focused household. My dad was a coach and athletic director. My mom was PE teacher. 
Um, she played college basketball and it was just like, that's just how I grew up. I'm sure you can relate, but like for fun, our vacation was going to the high school softball state tournament in Fort Dodge and spring break was always going to vets auditorium to watch high school boys basketball. And Mm -hmm. like, that's just what we did. Like Friday nights, what game are we going to? I grew up on the ball field with the girls that my dad was coaching, idolizing them. Mm -hmm. And so it was just, I just, that was just my experience that there was never a doubt in my mind that like, that's just what you do. Right. Mm -hmm. So I played, you know, parks and rec just for fun and basketball and softball. I was actually pretty late quote unquote to the game for competitive, like league softball. I remember a lot of my friends joined a year or two before, and I remember feeling like, dad, I want to play. Like, why can't I play? And my dad was pretty strict that like, that just wasn't necessary yet. And I didn't start competitive league softball until sixth grade, which now I look at the kids and I'm like, God, they've got years <laughs> ahead of me. But, um, ultimately I do think it helped preserve my passion and fun for softball instead of turning it into this like super serious competitive experience. But, um, I continued to play softball all through high school and college. I also played basketball up until my senior year. I was in, um, I was in on the track team. Uh, I was a thrower. (laughs) So so as Erica knows, that was one of the the experience, at least when I was in high school, which I'm sure you would not encourage as a track coach now was we would come, we would throw, we would leave. And it felt like two very different experiences of the team. Like I didn't often watch runners run or jumpers jump and vice versa. It was like the thrower stuck with the throwers, but I still had a lot of fun. It was, it was a lot of fun. And in fact, um, it was my high school track coach that got me into lifting. So Mm -hmm. she was this powerhouse of a woman. And I thought she was strong and beautiful and tall and not this idealized, like slender body type that I had previously been exposed to. And I thought, Oh, if she, I'll do whatever she tells me to do because she's just so cool. And so that actually got me into lifting. And then that, you know, transitioned over into other sports, you know, the, the benefits of lifting and continued that throughout college. So yeah. And now, and now for fun, I'm still like dying to play slow pitch at 38 (laughs) or like who wants to play pickleball? Does anyone, I, you know, turn monopoly and ping pong into a competitive sport. (laughs) Of course. I mean, why wouldn't you, before we dig into this whole lifting, um, that I know has been very transformational for you. Um, I always remember you and my vision of you back then when we were, you know, teenagers is that you were this very confident girl. You were always fun. Everybody always loved Annie. You were always you know, you had the best jokes and you just, to me, I saw you as just being super comfortable and confident in your own skin. Mm. And now that we have 
hindsight or, you know, we've been able to grow and express ourselves in different ways. I realized that that wasn't always the case for you. So can you like expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't think you're, you're not wrong. I would say that I don't think I saw this then, but I see it now as what I would say, like situation specific confidence. I was very confident on the softball field. I was very confident in my friendships. Um, I was very confident in my ability to collaborate effectively with various types of classmates for group projects or school events. I was not confident in my body or my experience in, I guess, dating which was like really a thing in high school, you know, like it was like cool to have a boyfriend. It was a lot of, a lot of, um, interaction with boys seemed to drive what girls were doing in high school. You know, Mm -hmm. do you, was that, do you remember that? Or is that just me? No, I think I remember that. I remember looking at people older than us who were seemed all coupled up and that just kind of seemed what it was supposed to be. Yeah. And then there's this like whole like dance thing, you know, you got to get dates to dances and like the prom. And I really wanted that and never had that. I I didn't have a boyfriend. I wanted a boyfriend. I certainly have plenty of crushes on boys, but it was never reciprocal. And I always made that out to be a reflection of my desirability Mm -hmm. that I didn't look like you, (laughs) this, this long linky, um, figure. And therefore it was like my body's fault. So in that regard, I felt super insecure. And also I was taller. I was heavier. I was thicker. I was also a lot stronger and a lot more powerful than some people, but I didn't see that as a benefit. I didn't see how I could like leverage my size as an asset. It felt very much like I was working against it. No, I can totally understand that and relate to that. Like how much energy and time did we waste, you know, trying to find a day or trying to see what everybody else was doing when we could have just had fun. You know what I mean? Like the funnest part of the dances was always getting ready or whatever, not the actual date that you never talked to. Yeah. But it was always. I don't know. This was my memory of it was trying to get a date. Yes. But also a date that could work with your friends. So you could like have the date and still go to the dance with your (laughs) friends because ultimately like I didn't want to go to the dance just to go to the dance. I wanted to go to the dance with my friends. And so it was just like hoop after hoop after hoop that you had to jump through to have this really great, amazing high school experience. And I missed some hoops. I still, I still enjoyed high school greatly and it was still very formative, but, uh, I definitely spent a lot of time thinking about how my body impacted my experience in relationships and sports and so on. Do you feel like today that it still does, or has there been a catalyst or turning point for you where you're not blaming your body and you're more just embracing it as a part of who you are? Um, that's a good question. I think, I think now I've accepted that having 
some insecurities or some self-doubt from time to time is part of the human experience. And I certainly have what I would say are bad body image days, but the difference between high school, me at 18 and me 38 now is that those experiences are fewer and far between. I have more skills and awareness to manage those experiences when I, when those feelings do come up for me, like I'm noticing that I'm really uncomfortable in my skin right now, or I'm hyper-focused on what I look like, or I'm mirror checking, um, or I'm hypercritical of how I look in a photo. When those experiences pop up for me, I have way more tools and strategies to manage them. And I'm much more responsive versus reactive in high school. It would have been like, fix your hair, fix your clothes, try to lose weight, get in an extra workout, um, spiral into a rabbit hole of shame and self-loathing. Now it's like, Hey, let's just pause here, (laughs) ride the wave, know that this is going to pass. You don't need to do anything dramatic. This Mm -hmm. is just part of the human experience. Like you're not going to love yourself all day, every day, 365 days a year. And when you don't on the days you don't, you can have more self-compassion, not more self-critique. What are some other of these like self-awareness strategies that you've developed? Are they just like self-questioning or have you, um, learned specific tactics that you need to do or try? Um, probably both. I think what, what has been most helpful to me is I hand to God, have a list in my phone on my notes of a handful of behaviors that I exhibit when I am becoming what I would, what I would call disconnected to myself. Hmm. Um, I'm, it's almost like if I have home, if, if I am home to myself, if I am home base, I have wandered a little too far away from home base. And I'm like now at the risk of getting lost. That's Mm -hmm. how I, that's how I see it in my head. And so I know that when I am salty for no reason, when I am irritable, when I am hypercritical of my body or my performance, when I am, um, scrolling social media and finding myself comparing myself to other people, either their performance, their look, their words, their work, these are all signs to me that I need to reconnect to myself. And so when I start to see, they're almost like symptoms, you know, when I start to see these things, I'm like, that's my, that's my trigger. My reminder to be like, Hey, how's your sleep? Mm -hmm. Do you need to like chill out and pause? Do you need some alone time? Do you maybe need some time to connect to like close friends who know you well? Do you need to journal? Do you need to meditate? Like maybe you need to de-stress and, and work out some way. So the, the thing that I do to kind of reconnect might vary in that moment, but I have a pretty keen awareness of when I am on the verge of like, Hey, you've gone too far. (laughs) And, and (laughs) again, again, like the contrast is in the past that would have been like, I'm feeling this type of way. Maybe I need to work harder. Maybe I need to change my body. Maybe I need to change my look. Maybe I need to, um, change my, uh, performance somehow or improve my performance. And now it's, now it's like, 
know, how can you reconnect to yourself? Yeah. I love that a lot because I feel in a way similar to it in the sense that when I was 14, when I was a teenager, you know, it was always somebody else's responsibility to make me feel good about myself. Mm -hmm. Right. And I always, if I wasn't feeling confident or I was, you know, in, like you said, just out of sorts, I wasn't aware of it to know that I could fix it. I didn't have any ownership in that process. It was always like up to somebody else and how they saw me. So I spent so much energy trying to make other people like me or to get the result validated in them. And I think that has been the shift in, you know, becoming an adult, becoming older, becoming a parent, becoming a teacher and a coach is like, oh, I have control in this situation. Yeah. Like, yes, I, that's so well said because I, I see this still in adults too, but it's like, if, if I can do this, if I can run, you know, the 400 meter hurdles at this time, then I'll feel worthy. If I'm this body weight, then I'll feel worthy. If I, um, get this score on my test, then I will feel good enough. And, and, and if you've taken that approach, you know, damn well, that every time you hit that it's never enough because you are trying to feed an internal insecurity, like through external measurements and the goalpost just ends up moving, you know, okay. You run the 400 hurdles in this time, and then you might celebrate for a hot second and you're like, okay, what's next? Hmm. How, like, could I go faster? What, what else could I do? It's, it's like insatiable when you are trying to feed your worthiness through that avenue. That's so good. And, you know, like you said, I still catch myself doing the same thing. Um, I want to switch gears just a little bit because you have often told the story and it's one that stuck with me about when you were in college in the weight room, a thing that they did in there was they would write the athlete's weight on the wall. Mm -hmm. And you were very adamant about, no, I'm not doing that. So I'd love to hear you expand upon that, but also share how that's been kind of a catalyst for what you do now, like the lift, what lifting has meant to you now and how you're trying to take it to other young girls and communities. Yeah. So I remember at the time being really upset with that because I had a lot of shame about my body weight. I, at the time was dating a college football player. I weighed as much as a lot of his football teammates. And that just, I had a lot of beliefs about what I should weigh, about what women should weigh, about what, how women should weigh in relation to men. Mm -hmm. And, um, so when the, the strength and conditioning coach said, we're going to put everyone's weight on the office door, I was like, uh, no. I really don't like that at all. And he, he honored that for me. He didn't put it up there, but, um, now I see it as much more this, like, Hey, your weight is relative to or influential, potentially influential into your strength. And when it comes to lifting specifically, like mass moves mass. So the heavier you are, the stronger you should be. And I just see it as very like objective data, not this subjective reflection of my worth or my value. And, um, regardless though, I still had a really great experience in the weight room. And I spent a lot of time 
in my younger years running, which is great. If you like to run (laughs) as I speak to a track coach, I didn't like running. I am not, I don't feel like I was built to run. I don't enjoy running. I never felt confident or, um, like it just, it would all across the board, just not a great experience for running. And it was probably super impacted by the fact that I thought I needed to run because that's what thin women did. Mm -hmm. And if I wanted to be thin, then I should also run. And I, so I ran and I just, again, didn't have an enjoyable experience. But then when I started lifting weights, I was like, oh gosh, I'm good at this. Like just naturally good at this in the way that some, some girls are naturally good at running. And it felt like for the first time I was actually working with my body instead of against it. And I was like, okay, so now my broad shoulders and thick thighs are an asset that I can leverage to do well in this and exceed. And combined with my athleticism, it just was like, this is such a natural way to embody my body. And I loved it. It was amazing. And and then there was also the competitive element, you know, just internally, but, but externally as well in a friendly, in a friendly way I compete with my teammates about who had the biggest squad or biggest bench press or whatnot. Um, and since then I've just, I've continued to lift and it's actually, um, 20 years of lifting under my belt. Now it hasn't always been super consistent, but for the most part, when I zoom out, like I have been lifting for 20 years and that strength that I have gained in the weight room has spilled out into strength in other areas of my life. Like my confidence in, um, relationships, my abilities, um, conversations that I may have had that I wouldn't have had otherwise. It's just transformed my life entirely. And And that's not to say that it's something specific with strength training. I think it's reflective of finding a way to embody your body that you enjoy. So I think you can have that experience running. I think you could have that experience golfing, playing tennis, you know, whatever it is. It just, for me, it was strength training. I like what you said embody the body that you enjoy. Mm Mm-hmm. And you, we did this little panel a couple of years ago for, um, some high school kids. And you, you told them, you said, I learned that my legs that I used to, you know, try to change were made for my body to do specific things. And that Erica's legs were made for her body to do certain things. And neither is better. Mm-hmm. It's just, we were made for certain things. And I think that right there is the conversation we should have had. 20 years ago, because we're all sitting there trying to be like somebody else, you know, and, um, I just, it's so powerful. And I just love seeing what you're doing. Um, not just for you, but like the, all these girls, like I will, I I don't love the weight room. It's not for me. Right. I, I, I don't love it. I'd rather be, like you said, like out on the track or doing something quick and fast or whatever, but, um, people find themselves in there. And I think you're a great example for that. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's, um, it's definitely what I needed when I was in high school. And again, it's not that there's anything special about that specific experience. It's just like another avenue to 
experience what you're capable of Mm -hmm. and whether girls end up utilizing it and enjoying it or not, it's less about that and more about just ample opportunities to find something that they enjoy and some place that they feel like they belong. And, um, of course, I think that strength training has many, many benefits that carry over into multiple sports. It's certainly not the end all be all. It's just a way to like really work with your body and, um, show gratitude for your body and also like honor your genetics. Like you and I have very different genetics. And again, it's not better or worse. It's just different. And no amount of strength training for you or running for me is going to make me look like you, or you look like me. And that's, that's a great thing. Yeah. But in high school, I was like, oh, we should all look like Erica. (laughs) (laughs) And now I've, now I've really come to accept that and appreciate it. Both, both your, both your, um, talents and figure and my talents and figure. I love it. I love what you said too. Just the ability to provide opportunity, opportunity for girls to find themselves and what they love and come into their own. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. Before you go, I have a game. Okay. Oh, I love games. So my kids and I lately, we've been playing this game. It's called five second rule. Do you have that game? It has this really annoying, like drumstick thing that has a timer. No, I was thinking of like when you drop candy on the ground and you eat it. (laughs) Well, that's a good game too. (laughs) I do play that game too. Okay. Five second rule. Basically the five seconds is kind of ambiguous for, for this purpose. Um, but you have to name three things in five seconds. So I'm going to give you the category and then you have to name three things. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm stressed. Okay. Go. (laughs) So clear your mind. Okay. All right. Top three, go-to foods or snacks. Pizza, cottage cheese, string cheese. Mm -hmm. Those are, those are not reflective of my day-to-day. That just happened to be what I've eaten in the last 24 hours. goodness. Well, I know you're a pizza gal. Yes, I do love pizza. All right. Your three favorite workout moves. Squat bench dead. Oh, okay. No kettlebell. No, I'm that would definitely be in the top five, but I'm, I'm definitely a barbell squat bench deadlift. Love it. Okay. Your three least favorite workout, uh, running box jumps, and least favorite, um, you've totally surpassed the five seconds. I don't know. I really do. I really do like a lot of variety of exercise. It tends to be more cardio based stuff that I don't like, but I thought you would have just been like running, running and running, but you know, yeah. Long distance running, (laughs) medium distance running running sprints. There you go. How about that? There you go. Done. Okay. Um, three most influential people in your life. My mom, um, Melinda Gates and gosh, this is hard. I can think of a lot of people. Um, I would have to say, uh, Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes. I, if I had a dollar for every time I quoted her or asked someone, have you read women who run with the wolves? I would be rich. It's super intense. It's a lot to process, but hands down top life-changing book. Okay. We'll put it, we'll put it on the list. All right. And last one, three things you wish you knew in high school. 
Oh my God. Um, you are worthy as is your value is not based off of your performance and everything is going to end up better than you can imagine. Mm, those are so good, Annie. I am proud of that. I am <laughs> like, I feel that was a good answer. I'm very, yeah. I, I feel like you could have given me five minutes and I couldn't have come up with a better answer. So <sighs> my God, okay. The, before- foods, the foods though, the foods I'm not happy with. <laughs> I mean, if that's what's on your mind right now, Um, well, before my final, final question, I just want to, um, just say, I'm so glad to be your friend. I'm so proud of everything that you're doing and you are just beautiful inside out and all, all around. Well, likewise, I, I absolutely love that the universe has reconnected us after all these years and that you are excelling in your area and I'm in mine and it's very complimentary and all of it's great for the community. So, okay. So this is called the standing O podcast Mm -hmm. because, um, similar to what we were talking about earlier, we spend so much time as athletes waiting for people to applaud us rather than learning to you know, stand for ourselves and give ourselves an applause. So I want to ask you, Annie, what is your standing O moment? I don't know if I could narrow it down to one particular moment, but I will say that starting co-founding, starting my business bounce 365 has led to a series of standing O moments. If I could be so humble, (laughs) um, it's no one. I did not grow up in a family of entrepreneurs or business owners, and it has challenged a lot of beliefs about what I thought was possible about how moms and wives, uh, should be and what they should do, how they should spend their time. It has led me to a lot of growth. Um, I've learned to embrace the discomfort of growth. And ultimately I think it's led me to living what feels like a life on purpose and a life with intention. And so I don't think I would have ever have gotten there or at least as quickly had I not started that. So I would say starting, starting my business. That's an awesome standing up moment. I'm proud of you. I'm cheering for you. Yay. All right, Annie. Well, you're awesome. I love you. And yes, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. This was fun. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. All right. Let's not wait 20 years. If there's anything you take away from our conversation today, I hope it's this. Put down the measuring stick. What Annie and I discovered is that for too long, we used our own insecurities against us. We compared to what others had and in turn, diminished our own worth and value. Our bodies are made to be unique and to do powerful things. Annie, she was a national champion softball player. I was a high jumper. Both are great, both different, and different is okay. So ladies, put down the measuring stick. Look beyond the mirror. 
You are the girl for the job and you will do great things. So thank you once again to my beautiful friend, Annie Breeze. You can find her at her socials at annie.breeze and at balance365. Both of these are linked for you in the show notes. I appreciate you tuning in and meeting my friends and taking ownership of your own confidence. So please subscribe and share the Standing O podcast and help us spread confidence to all the girls who play. Until next time, this is Coach D and I'm cheering you on.